let's get into the Bible and study the scriptures out. And I've been really wrestling with this text, not because it's difficult, but because it's boring, this particular text today. And I don't know if you know me personally or think you know who I am, but I kind of like adventure and excitement and crazy stuff. And, you know, the last couple teachings we've had out of the book of Ephesians were actually the opposite of boring, talking about alcohol consumption and marriage relationship and disciplining your kids and parents and all this stuff that kind of actually causes my endorphins to rush when I think about, I have to teach this? You know, they're going to kill me, you know. And so today I'm like, what? What do I talk about today? There's nothing here. It's, it's still here, though. And I look at you all, and I look at myself. And life is so miraculous at times. Noteworthy. You ever kept a journal before? I tried keeping a journal before, but my life was too boring. I was like, what am I writing down? There's nothing to write down. The sky was blue today. It's over, you know. But there's certain days where it's like noteworthy, like, whoa. Whoa. And you write those things down. And whether it's miraculous or mundane, here's the cool thing. It's all redeemable in God's economy. It is all awesome. It is all super necessary and legit. So don't believe the hype like I do from time to time that some days are more holy than others or some opportunities are more significant than others. There, there is this idea that there are things that are consecrated, and, and then there's things over here that are just normal. In reality, God says, no, it all counts. Your whole sum, when you get to heaven, your whole, you're bringing your whole life with you. It'll, it'll all count. And when you do things in faith that maybe are going to, to Haiti or to Fiji, I've been there too, to go places, whoa, write it down in the journal. Then there's other times where you just go to the food market, okay, and you decide to smile, to be nice to be patient, to be kind, to ask a question and listen to the answer. You ever do that before? I ask questions all the time, but I rarely listen to the answer. Like, how you doing? You know, I'm off to something else. <laughs> you laugh because you do too. But to sit there and say, no, no, I, I am an ambassador of Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit. Every single person I interact with is, is a miraculous opportunity to, to redeem. It is amazingly important. So don't believe the enemy... When you leave here on a Sunday and say, that was so good. I'm so excited to live this out. I can't wait until I meet somebody worthy of exercising these principles upon. It's definitely not going to be Monday through Saturday. But instead, the Lord would speak to us and say, no, no. I, I know what you're going through. As a matter of fact, Jesus, he was really, really normal. Do you realize that? He was really normal. He came and he was born as a baby. I mean, how anticlimactic. You're God, the savior of the world. At least be born as like a dinosaur or something like crazy, you know. Instead, so he's like, no, I'm just going to come as a baby. I invented it. I made everything, but I'm just going to show you that normalcy can be redeemed, that, that, that a life in, in, in a minority situation, in a marginalized economy, in, in a minimal society, that that's awesome. That's awesome. And so how many people right now, before I even begin, I'm trying to just get you all pumped up to hear a sermon about nothing. <laughs> how many in here? <laughs> Second service is going to go way different than this, just so you know, just so you know. But how many in here right now just sit here discounted? You're just discounted. You have already discounted yourself. I'm just, I'm just, I just hope I die right. I hope I live okay. But there's nothing special about me. And you've believed a lie that what you've been through or, or who you are or what you have to offer or who and how God might use you in the future 
Maybe you've already been used a few times and you're excited, or maybe you're just, you know what, my best years are behind me. How many of you are sitting here discounted, though, and need to be reminded, oh, it all counts, and I have no idea what God is preparing me for, and I have no idea, and I repent of my lack of faith. I have no idea how important it is to be spirit-filled, as we've been learning in Ephesians 5 and 6. To be spirit-filled, not leaning on the things of the world, but filled with God in order to be me, joyful, thankful, worshipful, prayerful, in order to be a husband and be a wife. I want to take this so seriously. I want to be the best I can be. And then he segues into being a kid and what it means to grow and to be obedient to the people over you and what it means to be a mom and dad. And how many people are sitting here this morning discounted saying, well, I don't have a title. I'm a nobody. I don't have a title. I don't have a paycheck. I'm not getting paid to be in the ministry. I don't have a key to the church. I don't even know Luke's last name. I'm nobody. I'm, no, I'm nobody. I'm never going to get on that stage. And if I ever get on that stage, they're going to call the cops on me, you know. It's not about the stage, okay? The Bible says that when we gather together, that there ought to be preaching. And that preaching ought to be for the edification of the body. That is the body building. That is the body building for the work of the ministry. So when you go out there, you're built up. You're ready. You're equipped. You're, you're on fire. You're, you're engaged. And you're not discounted, but instead you're accounted for. It's awesome. And as I've been processing this through, because the Bible's so inspired, and I'm so not. And as I read this through, I'm like, whoa, this all makes sense. Paul's not just throwing out arbitrary commands and arbitrary instructions, and oh yeah, and by the way, dads don't blow it, and moms step up, and kids don't be dumb. And you know, it's not just throwing out these weird commands. Instead, he's saying, ho, 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 this is so perfect and so concise in order that what? That God would demonstrate his love on earth. That God would do miracles in the mundane and in the marginal and in the normal. That God would be glorified in Lincoln County. And everything we go through, whether it's a medical procedure and the way we endure that or whether it's the way we get the mail or deliver the mail. We got some mailman here too. Whatever it is we do, we do for the glory of God. That's the verse I read to you out of Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, do to the glory of God. So that being said, let's read Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Now, be that as it may, when we get to verses 10 and beyond, he segues into very normal living to slaying demons and standing against strongholds of darkness, just so you know. So it gets real exciting in the next couple of weeks here as we talk about the forces that we're fighting against. But here, he talks about the people that we just work with in our job, our normal day, our routines, and our responsibilities. Some of you are thinking, isn't that fighting demons too, you know? <laughs> yes, yes it is. <laughs> Verse 5, bond servants. Now he addresses the bond servants. He's addressed the kids, he's addressed the moms, he's addressed the dads, he's addressed the husbands, he's addressed the wives, he's addressed the individuals. Now he addresses the bond servants. Specifically then, a bond servant then would literally be a slave. Okay? Be somebody who's working for somebody else. We now, the only closest thing we have would be an employee-employer relationship. And so we'll draw the same principles that he lays down for somebody who is in subjection to another person, bond servant. Now in that day, slavery, just at the front end of the sermon here, slavery was not the same that we've experienced in our own country, okay? Which has no redemption and is completely evil and wrong. Everything about slavery in our country that we experienced in the last decades and centuries, everything we experienced was eh, wrong. There were in this day also equally wrong practices with slavery, but there also in this day were righteous slavery practices, if you can believe it or not. That is when people would be in a 
position in their life to say, the only way I'm going to move forward is if I give myself over to this particular family and serve them and grow in that way. This is going to take care of my family. I'm going to make myself a bond servant. Everyone say bond servant. A bond servant. And so there was redemption. There also was illegitimate relationships. Matter of fact, at this time, just pinch yourself and historically get there. When Paul wrote this, why would he include the bond servants in his letter to the church at Ephesus? In the Roman Empire at this time, there were over 6 million slaves, okay? Bond servants, people who were living in other people's households, serving their interest and their needs as employees serve employers in our day, much more freedom in our day. But nonetheless, there was this relationship and this huge populace, this mass amount of folks who were Christians, who needed the instruction of the Lord. Hey, I'm a bond servant. I'm a slave. I'm not in charge. I'm in charge of. Somebody's telling me what to do. And Paul says, yeah, I got some words for you too. I want you to know how to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be the best employee, the best bond servant you can be. And then he goes on to talk not just to the bond servants, those who are serving their masters, but he talks in verse 9 to the masters. And he says, and you masters, it's cool. He says, and you do the exact same thing I just told them to do. Okay, they're here. Bond servants are here to serve the master. And he says to the masters, and masters, you're here to serve your bond servants. This reciprocal reaction, this love, this Christ-like covering is to be seen and noticed in the workforce. And so while we might have a huge disconnect right away this morning, bond servants, slavery, what's, what's this in the Bible about slavery? You know, Listen, you've got to read it in context and understand. And Paul has given to you and I, I believe, great and direct application for any and all of the authority that we find ourselves under today. You don't even need to raise your hand, but I'll just ask you, are you under authority to anybody today? I'll just nod my head for you and say, yes, you are. Yes, you are. And the list, the list starts in heaven. Okay, it starts in heaven and then goes down. You know, God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you're in great authority to them. You're totally subject. And then you're subject to the rules of the universe and the laws of gravity. You're subject. You, I don't like gravity. Well, it's obviously beating you down. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't like this. You know, it's like we're subject to so many things. And then beyond God and beyond our maker is the governments around us and the authorities and the police and the military, all that, whether you agree and we don't all agree, and whether you're in subjection to the authority above you, and it goes even further down than to your local government and to the police forces here in Newport and all the people that are here for your benefit and your bosses and your bankers. If you own a home, you don't really probably own your home. The bank owns your home, and you pay the bank, and you're in authority to them, and you signed 88 pages on your documents when you bought that house, and you gave away anybody owned an iPhone and agreed to that last update, and you said, I agree, I read it. How many of you agreed and didn't read it? All of you, nobody reads it, and you all agreed, and now you're in authority to those parties above you. And so this section here is very practical, very normal, very boring. I'm going to do my best to, to speed it up and make it awesome. But I also just want to say one last thing. This is, I'm not going to say one last thing. I'm going to say a lot of things. I'm going to say one more thing. I really believe for the South Beach Church that if each and every one of us would take our pulse and just step up to bat in Ephesians chapter 4, 5, and 6. And just say, I'm going to be spirit-filled. I'm going to be me. And I'm going to hit it out of the park. I am going to go down swinging if I have to. I'm going to be the best me I can be. I'm not going to compare myself to you. That's foolishness. But I am going to compare myself to myself. And I am going to try and be better than I was the day before. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. 
and I'm going to grow, and I'm going to be a, the best mom I can be, the best dad I can be, the best single person I can be. I'm going to be the best employee that I can possibly I'm gonna be. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be the best voter I can possibly be. I don't know how that's possible, but I'm going to be the best voter and the best citizen and the best taxpayer and the best recycler and the best whatever. What, what if that was the case? And what if all of a sudden South Beach Church and everyone else who loves Jesus in this town just started walking around saying, my life is so important. I may not have a title. I may not ever hit the stage, but I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, and everything I do is redeemable and counts. And I'm going to worship God by living that way, and God all of a sudden in heaven is having a great time. Look at, my, look at my kids. They believe it. They're walking by faith. So pleased. You just please the Father in heaven. Then on earth also, you're allowed to walk in redemption, miracles, and God's plan. It all counts, every single bit of it. So I'm so glad for the holistic approach that Paul gives us at the end of the text here. Now, now knowing who we are in Christ, because identity leads to activity, which leads to destiny. We learned this years ago, months ago, in the first chapters of Ephesians. And so Paul now is looking at this identity that leads to activity. Let's read verses 5 through 9. Have I read anything yet? Have I read anything yet? I've been holding my Bible like I read it, like I read it. Now listen up. Here we go. It says, bond servants... Be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart, as to Christ. We've seen that little asterisk inserted, as to Christ. Children, obey your parents as unto the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as unto the Lord. All this stuff is as unto the Lord. The Lord's included in this. And so now, bond servants who love Jesus, love your masters. Serve them with sincerity of heart. And and not just in eye service, verse 6, it says, not with eye service as men pleasers. That's superficial. But instead, as, as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing, you should have that circled, knowing, verse 8, that whatever good anyone does, what? Wow, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. That verse right there will allow you to serve anybody and everybody who doesn't deserve to be served if you're in a position or subjection to that, that leader, whether it's a, a, a spouse or a parent or an employer or a partner. And you find yourself, I don't know, it's not fair. Read verse 8 again. If you do this, the Bible says, God will reward you. You're going to receive a reward. You're going to receive a reward. You're going to receive an internal reward. You ever had peace in your heart from doing the right thing? What's that worth? 100 bucks? 200 bucks? No, there's no, there's no price. There's no price for peace. You just can't, it's priceless. I did the right thing. Ha, oh, I feel good. I did the right thing. You ever done the wrong thing and had the lack of peace? Ugh. Ugh. You know, you got to fix that. The Lord will reward you with peace. He'll also reward you not just internally, but he'll reward you temporally. He'll bless you. He'll make things eventually work out for you. You'll just see blessings and benefits on earth. Somehow, peace between your fellow brethren. Blessings. It's up to him to decide how to fill this in, not just internally and not just temporally, but eternally. This is so fun. We're going to heaven when we die. Like, we, we win. We're, we already are on the winning team. And God says, when you get to heaven, the rewards will be lavishly given out. For everything you've done in secret and in open, everything you've done for me will be taken into account. And there's going to be no regrets. Matthew 24, actually, Jesus taught on this. He says, when the rewards are given and when life is measured and when what you've done for him and because he just said simply to do it, it's going to be worth it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 9. 
He says, and you masters, you do the same things to them. Giving up threatening. I like that. I'll talk about that later if we have time. If I don't, I'll mention it right now. In that day, threatening would be real. I mean, it'd be a real deal. Like, if you don't get to work and do this, you're going to be sold. You're going to die. They would have free reign over their slaves in this day. He says, masters, don't be a jerk. Don't use your bossiness and your bulliness to lead your people. Don't stop threatening, okay? Stop it. You guys are equal. Even though you're different in responsibility, you are equal in value. You realize that, right? Equality in value is humanistic. We're just, we're equal. But we are different in responsibility, and that is from the Lord. There's order, okay? There's, there's a method to what he has said and given to us to live. And so he says to the masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. This is so cool for the bosses. He's like, guess what, boss? You ain't the boss. There's another boss, okay? The big, big B boss. There's another boss. And so if you're a boss, if you're in charge, you're a shift manager, or you're a supervisor, or you're in charge of your HOA, or you're a coach of a team, or you pull the bingo chips out at your, you know, retirement center, whatever you're in charge of, you know, you're not the boss, okay? You're, you got a bigger boss. And he says, careful the way you lead, because your boss is watching the way you lead as well. So let's pray now and ask God to bless us with uh, understanding, application, and excitement. Excitement to be you. We've got a whole force of people, okay? I love church because we gather together. It's like the big halftime, okay? We gather in there. Okay, how are you doing? How are you doing? Ready? Okay, we've got two more quarters to go after the half. Go out there and get, do it, you know? We've got some stuff to do. We talk about the playbook and the rules and the excitement and the goal, and we all go ahead and show ourselves the Super Bowl ring that we already have. It's called salvation. It's like, I'm already on the winning team, coach. And it's like, yeah, I know, I know. But we've got some more downs to play. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name you bless us and just make this clear. Get us excited, Lord. I would be the first to apologize, Lord, for how often I'm not excited. I just I feel like a hypocrite teaching some of these things, most of these things. And so I, I, I'm the first. Those who want to join me can. I'm the first to apologize to who I am naturally. I'm, just, I'm so like a sheep, just kind of just running around doing my own thing. And you're so much like the shepherd, and I take such great comfort in that. And so this morning, Lord, I ask that you would lead us, myself specifically, but lead us, Lord, to still waters into green pastures, and, and, and deliver us, Lord, from evil, and prepare for us a, a table, even in the midst of our enemies. If there's somebody here tonight, today who's fighting something, maybe there's just such pressure, and maybe it's health, or maybe it's finances, maybe there's pain, just a physical pain that is just so consuming. I pray, Jesus, you would prepare a meal in the presence of our enemies, and we would find ourselves refreshed and strengthened for the battle, reminded of the things that matter, Lord. Oh, God. So I repent. And I ask, Lord, for a greater strength to be a husband, to love my wife, to be a dad, uh, to father my kids, a neighbor, to, to serve my community, uh, to be a better pastor, Lord, to lead the church, and to be a better son, a, a better son to my God. Lord, we all want to be better sons and daughters here that make our Father happy, pleased, that serve the family here on earth and in heaven. Make us good sons and daughters today. By the power of your word, by the grace that you anoint with preaching, and for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, James, Jesus' little brother, he wrote his epistle. 
after he became a believer. You guys know James wasn't always a believer. James became a believer after the resurrection. It changed everything. And so James, James at one point had made fun of Jesus. You know this in John 7. You know how it is with brothers and siblings and rivalries and stuff. And James and the little brothers made fun of Jesus. Long story short, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And James is like, oops, guess my big bro is God, <laughs> you know, and, you know, repentance, and he became one of the elders of the church. Really, he did, and he wrote the book of James. And when James wrote James, he got to chapter 5, and he exhorted the church to pray, to pray fervently, to confess their sins one to another that they might grow and be healed. And he went on to talk about prayer, and he said, man, you know who prayed good? You know who prayed real good? And he said, Elijah. Elijah prayed good. Elijah prayed a prayer. Maybe you guys know the story. Elijah prayed a prayer one time to punish the children of Israel. King Ahab was the king, horrible dude. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and pray for y'all. Lord, I pray it wouldn't rain ever again. Okay. Some of you must have prayed that for the storm yesterday, and it worked, you know. <laughs> Lord, keep the storm back, and it worked, you know. And so it didn't rain for three and a half years. Can you imagine that? Like, just here, deal with it. Three and a half years go by, one prayer from the guy named Elijah, and James references his prayer life. Then James also says when Elijah wanted it to rain again, he said another prayer. He actually prayed seven prayers in a row. Remember the stories, praying, 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 praying. Then it came through. I was just meditating on that last night. How many of you guys right now are praying for a breakthrough, praying for something, or you prayed once and it didn't happen? You're like, well, God doesn't want this to happen. It's a good thing, but it's not a God thing. I'm going to let it go. <sighs> tough, tough to discern that, isn't it? Keep praying. Okay, keep praying. Elijah prayed seven times, and then his servant Gehazi came running up, and he says, it's not raining yet, but I do see a cloud. It's the size of a man's fist in the distance. And he's like, it's just about that big. And he looks over at Elijah, and Elijah's already running. He's like, hey, get out of here. Typhoon's coming, you know. And Gehazi's like, it's just a cloud. He's like, no, it's not. It's the answer. And the prayer brought rain again. Now, Elijah is operating in the miraculous. James, when he describes, the reason James brings this up, though, is the next caveat James gives us in, in James chapter 5. He says, and Elijah, who did these crazy things, was a man with the same nature just like us. He was a normal Joe, a normal dude. He had all kinds of proclivities and missteps and all kinds of problems. And you guys know his story. He would have one miraculous moment and then he would have one depressed moment. He would walk in great victory and then hide himself in a cave and wish that he were dead. And he was very normal. And I say that because God is similar in nature, in that God is very big and miraculous. I've been alluding to this fact all day long. But he's also very miniature and small. God is the God of the cosmos, but he's also the God of the atom. Okay, the atom, the smallest thing we've ever been able to discover or to discern or to study. And then he's the God of the cosmos. He's both. And so the application I'll give you at the front end before I tell you the story and then before I give the illustration, I'll give you the application. God wants to use your life in the miraculous. He wants you to be able to walk on water, dare I say, to be a part of someone's life, to pray for them and have them healed to discern truth from lies and preach it and see people's eyes opened up. He wants you to change eternity. And he's also going to allow you to walk in the very normalist of lives, okay? Where you're going to pull your journal out and say, I don't think anything happened today. And shut the journal. Just a day I went to work. I, you know, did good. You know, God is both. Every day counts. God's the God of the cosmos, okay, huge and he's the God of the atom. Did you know what an atom is, right? An atom, an atomic particle within your body. Did you know that your bodies consist of atoms, right? Everyone know this? You went to school one time and they taught you this and in one ear and out the atom, you know, out the other, you know? Atoms. Did you know that your body is made up of seven billion, billion, 
billion atoms, just you, okay? It's a seven with 27 zeros at the end of it. That's how many atoms it takes to make you up. And you guys know that an atom is an electron, electron spinning around a proton and a neutron, which makes the nucleus, okay, the middle. And these two little things, that's where the matter's at. And it's spinning around, and there's seven billion, 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 billion of these in you that, that make you up. Now, here's the deal. Did you know that as you study an atom and look at it through a you know, thing or whatever, it's there. It's its own little world of existence in miracles, in craziness, in power, and mystery. It's so small, so small. Did you know that everything is made up of atoms? Everything around you. Go ahead and touch the person next to you, only if you know them. Uh, it's made up of atoms. Everything, everything. Here's the crazy thing about atoms. Most of you know this. You've done the study before. When that electron spins around the nucleus, which is the proton and the neutron, it's spinning around. There's a large bit of space in between the actual matter. There's space. So you've got 7 billion, 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 billion atoms, all with a huge amount of space in between them and just a little bit of matter. Did you know that if I were to take you and get rid of all that space and just condense it to what you really are, get rid of all the space, all the airheadness and all the stuff, you know, it's funny, all the stuff out of you until you're just you. It wouldn't actually change you. It would just actually remove everything that's not you. Did you know that if I did that to everyone here and just decreased your size, you would still weigh the same, okay? You would still be the same amount of matter, just less density. If I took everyone here and then everyone in Newport and then everyone in Oregon and everyone in America and everyone on the seven or eight continents, whatever we got now, you know, they're always changing stuff. If I took all eight billion people in the world and took away the space that makes them up, and all we are left with is who they really are. Did you know that every single person, all of the people that exist today, would fit inside a sugar cube? I'm not making this up. Sugar cube. Yeah, about that big. What? How many of you guys just like your brain kind of like shut down a little bit? You're like, I need some coffee, coffee. Do you have a sugar cube? Do you have a sugar cube? Is that what's happening here? Science, folks. God made that. And only recently have we had discovered atoms and atomic particles and all this rest of this stuff that is ex- exactly how God made the whole world. As a matter of fact, I studied this out a couple weeks ago. Some of you saw the Facebook post that a neutron star, they're about 13 miles wide. They're not even that big. But a neutron star is the most dense matter that we've ever discovered, come to know about. And it's the same deal where the neutrons have the electrons and the matter, the space has been removed. And so it's just density. And if you take a teaspoon of a neutron star, just a teaspoon, first of all, it would kill you and everything within a million mile radius, okay? It would kill everything. But that, the weight of that rock, just a teaspoon, weighs 10 billion tons, okay? Just one little rock, the density. As a matter of fact, neutron stars are supernova stars that have come and gone and died now, and they're what they call black holes. And anything that comes within a radius nearby at all, light years with the nearness of a neutron star is destroyed immediately and sucked into its orbit. It's, it eats up galaxies, Anyways, the nearest neutron star is way, way far away, just so you know, okay. Okay, okay, I'm going to speed this up here, speed this up here. Atoms, atoms, atoms are crazy. We don't even actually exist. We're here, but we're not here. And God says, yeah, that's how I made it. Crazy, trip out. That's God, the God of the atoms. It's so small, but also the God of the cosmos. Do you know how big space is? You ever looked at space before? It's a little big, it's a little big. There's some acreage up there. Did you know that the earth 
can fit inside of our sun 1.3 million times. You know this, right? You can put 1.3 million Earths inside of our sun. It takes eight minutes to get to the sun at the speed of light, okay? If you were to go beyond our sun to the next sun, the next sun in, in our galaxy, it would take not eight minutes at the speed of light, but it would take four years, okay? It's kind of a long road trip. Speed of light, 186,000 miles per second. Like, you might want to bring a thermos with you, you know, and a little throw-up bag, you know, four years, and you're going to get to the next star. How many stars did you see the last time you went stargazing? More than one, two? The, the nearest star is four years away at the speed of light. Ours is only eight minutes away. The sun, it's huge, right? It's huge, 93 million miles away. Did you know you can take 1.3 million Earths and shove it inside the sun if you were to do such a weird thing like that and just fill? That's how big the sun is. 1.3 million of our little Earths can fit inside it. Did you know that if you go beyond our nearest star into the farthest star, the biggest star we've ever discovered, you could take 1.3 million Earths in the sun, and then you take the sun, and you can take nine... Hundred billion suns. Y'all with me? And fit it inside the next biggest star, or should I say the biggest star we've ever discovered. 900 billion suns inside this star that's just, you know what it's doing right now? Nothing. It's just floating. It's just. You know what it's called, right? You guys, you guys know the, the Latin name for it. It's Canis Majoris which means big dog, okay? It's the big dog star. Like, what should, we, what should we call that star out there? You know, it's like, uh, Canis Majoris sounds good. It means big dog. And everyone laughed, and they said, yeah, and they wrote it down. God, our God, who made you, made the atoms, their little solar system, the thing that there's seven billion, billion, billions that make just you. They're, they're, they're so finite and concise and, and amazing. And then the, the solar system and the galaxies and the universe... Did you know that they estimate that there are as many galaxies, ours is the Milky Way galaxy, that there are as many galaxies in the known universe as there are blades of grass on Earth? Okay, that's, I mean, that's, they're guessing, just so you know. They don't know how many blades of grass there are. I know how many blades of grass I have in my yard, but they don't know anything. Okay, so many galaxies! And, 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 and then God gives us his book. And he's like, hey, I'm both big like the cosmos, but I'm also miniature, and I can fit inside of you, and I can be a part of your life, and in your parenting, and in your singleness, and in your life, and the way, you, the way you hope, and the way you hurt, and the way you work, and everything about you is redeemable, and God is so amazing, and sometimes, again, I just feel discounted. Ah, it's just a Tuesday. Today doesn't matter. I'm going to go ahead and cast off restraint, just do what I got to do. I'm going to go ahead and pick up the phone when sin calls and dabble in this a little bit because, eh, who cares? I'm going to go ahead and continue in this relationship or I'm not going to get that thing under control because, well, it doesn't really matter. When in reality, every big thing and every small thing all matters. And God says, it all matters. All of your life matters. Everything matters. And how often do you just do something different and just sell out? When I'm called upon to do something big, I act a little differently. Maybe you do too. It's a big event. It's a big deal. I better study hard, better pray hard, better repent hard, better whatever. In other days, I can believe the lie that it doesn't really matter. And God says, that's not true. That's why he includes in this list all of these normal things for us to do. Because when you become a Christian, when you become a Christian, you surrender your rights and you become a bondservant of Christ. That is, you say, I live solely for the goodwill and for the glory of God and the good of others. I'm a bondservant of Christ. And that also means I'm a bondservant of the people around me. To be a bondservant in that day would literally mean to surrender your rights for the purpose of somebody else's good. 
now we, we call this employee-employer relationship, where you show up to an employer's job space, and it's really you're surrendering your rights to a degree. Now, you get paid and taken care of to a degree, but you are supposed to surrender your rights and your will during that time for the betterment of the company, for the betterment of the organization. Now, let's be honest. There is something culturally popular in our society that says rebellion and anarchy and sarcasm and smallness and sneakiness and shadiness is, is valuable. And if that's the kind of employee you are, the kind of person you are, if you can snake a deal or skirt an issue or slide by something that you're somehow better than everyone else, and the Bible says, whoa, 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 let's do the exact opposite. Let's go the second mile. Let's show heaven on earth in the way we work, in the way we serve one another, in the way you live in your home, harmony of the home, and also in the way you work at your job, the harmony of the job. And he nails, if you would, and, and, and addresses, if you would, and he speaks to employees and employers and says, this is for you. I want you to be the best, not the worst. I don't even want you to be second best. I want you to be the best best. Why? For my glory. I'm going to reward you. Trust me. I'm going to use you. And if you're a Christian, this is so easy. You settled the deal already. You don't live for your own self-interest anymore. You've, you've given up. As a Christian, you get to do so many fun things. You process every day. You wake up. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not my own. I, don't, I shouldn't do that anymore. And, I, and I've been set free, and I get to now walk in the liberties of Christ, and I get to confess my sin freely. Have you found this as a Christian? Most non-Christians can't confess their sins whatsoever. It's too scary. It's too weird. It's too, too wacky. As a Christian, though, you get great grace. When you confess your sin, God's grace is sufficient for your needs and your cleanse, and you move forward so quickly. And as a Christian, man, I'll tell you what, once you know who you are, you'll know what to do. And I hope this makes such practical sense, just in the way you drive. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you guys are so immature still? You're just so immature I mean, right now, just, you, you just take liberties, you go to places, and you do stuff, and you think things, like, <clears throat> you count yourself, you write yourself a little hall pass, well, I'll just, you know what I'm saying, I'll just a little hall pass here for this activity, this lifestyle choice, this function, whatever it is, and God will eventually call you on those hall passes, like, can I see that, can I see that, you know, I want, I want to do something with your life, don't believe the lies, when you become a Christian, you know what to do, instantly, and when you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit to do what you're supposed to do. This last August, my wife and I and my kids and my parents and John and Anita, some friends here from the church, we all got a chance to go on a cruise to Alaska. It was just amazing, a great family trip. And on the way back, uh, to get 4,000 people off a cruise, it's kind of like this big deal. And so everyone gets off in shifts. So at 8.15 was our shift. You got to be in line and get off. And it's just big deal. And I'm with their, my three kids and my wife and my parents. I don't know where they're at. They're in a different cabin, you know. And we're getting off, and it's just kind of confusing. We're going up escalators and down elevators and over stairs and just trying to watch my kids. And here's what happened though i got off the boat and we were walking through the terminal there's hundreds and thousands of people to get your luggage and as i was walking and watching my kids and i see on the ground there a piece of paper and i walk right over it people everywhere as soon as i saw it and registered in my mind i said i know what that is i know exactly what that is so i said nemo he was in front of me i said nemo turn around so watch this and i walked back into the flow of traffic and sorry excuse me excuse me and all these people i reached down and grabbed it and i brought it back over to Nemo. I go watch this and i opened it up and it was an envelope one of those atm envelopes and I opened it up, and there was $500 cash in there. I just knew. I was like, there, look at that, boy. I said, dinner's on me. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. And I, I was okay. I didn't know exactly it was going to be in it, but there was five, and I've got five people in my family, so we each got 100 bucks. No, no. <laughs> what do you do? 
what do you do? Nemo, he, he really respects money. He actually is borderline loves money, and I'm trying to teach him not to. And he's a good accountant, you know, so he's thinking about all this stuff. And, all their, and I'm just walking. There's people everywhere. I'm like, is there a counter? Is there somebody who works here? And I looked for like eight seconds. Nobody worked there, you know, so I put it in my pocket. No, I'm kidding. Kidding again. Finally, I found somebody that worked there. I just thought to myself, what do I do? This is not, not going to work. And even the person I was talking to, I kind of felt was shady. Like, I found some money. Will you make sure it gets turned in? She smiled and says, yep. And I was like, ah, you know, okay. But, but I knew I was a Christian. And not just a Christian, but I'm a dad. And I knew I had to show my kids what the right thing to do. And it was a $500. It wasn't even my money. I didn't lose anything. I gained everything. Hey, kids, you know what we're going to do with this? We're going to find somebody that works here, and we're going to turn it in, and we're going to pray that they find it. And I'm going to write my name and address on this envelope just in case they don't, and they can send it to me. <laughs> Which I did, and they didn't. They must have found the person or somebody. <laughs> when you're in a situation and you're spirit-filled, and you're a Christian, and you have a, what do I do here? What do I do here? I have an opportunity to do what's right, or I have an opportunity to uh, do what's wrong. And the Holy Spirit, when you're a Christian, I don't care what it looks like for you, specifically here, employment relationships, on the job, ethics, how do we love the people around us? Some of you already need to repent. You just need to repent today and say, I did it wrong. I've been, I've been, I've been the system. I've been, I've been scamming the system, or I've been a jerk to my employees, or whatever. That's awesome. We come to church like, oh, okay, because God says you do it right and you do it the right way, and I'll be able to bless you as we move forward. Because my identity is my duty. What I do, I do it for Christ. And when you find yourself walking in this way, be filled on the job side. It changes everything. So let's just go ahead and run through this now a little bit. He says, bond servants, I want you to be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to the Lord or as to Christ. He says specifically, guys, I want this to move from your head to your heart. I want it to really be you. I want you to serve your masters. Now, let's just be honest. You think there was any illegitimate master-bond-servant relationships then? You know the brutality level. I don't, need to, I don't have time. But the brutality level in the Roman Empire with slaves and masters. Kill at will, torture, dismember, entertain. It was really gnarly. Even just in civilian relationships, you could get away with a whole bunch of stuff. And in this relationship, all of a sudden, Paul says, Hey, bond servants, I want you to, with your heart, serve your masters as to the Lord. And they would have to swallow deep and say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm, you know what I'm going to need for that? The Holy Spirit. I can't do this alone. We've been learning that. You can't do this. In my flesh, and don't even think for a minute, I didn't want to keep that $500. <sighs> and in my flesh, I've done a lot of things that were not spiritual. I just want to do it this way, and it's too hard to do it that way. And I'll even reject and object to what God says because maybe he doesn't understand my situation. And before you check out, before I lose too much momentum, imagine Jesus Christ who subjected himself to this world. Right now, there's somebody here objecting. I'm not going to submit to my boss. Luke, you don't, you don't get it. My boss is evil, okay? Evil. <laughs> like, <laughs> by me not submitting to my boss, I'm doing the right thing, you know? And then imagine Jesus Christ who submitted himself to the rules of our world, to the rules of anarchy and craziness and ultimate crucifixion. Why? Because he wasn't living for righteousness to be established here. He was living for righteousness to be established in heaven forever. He had a different eternal perspective that allowed him, Christ, to do what he did and then allows us to absorb Christ and to do what we do. And we are such a culture of justice. 
company, justice. And the Lord says, that's not your department. That is not your department. Justice will be metered out. Justice will be, it will be gotten. It will be had, but not by your abilities. And so he says, be a bond servant that is wholly devoted. Now, the definition of bond servant is devoted to another, to the disregard of one's own interest. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you are an employer, you could put this on your next uh, help wanted sign, looking for a bond servant who will be completely dedicated to the job at the disregard of their own will, emotion, or desire. Uh, starting wage $9 an hour, must work weekends. <laughs> Looking for a bond servant. <laughs> and uh, see how that goes. Um, anyways, it's not being perfect, but it is being dedicated to following God in all things. I'm just going to serve. I'm going to serve my boss as to the Lord. Okay, this is an integrity issue. And I would say this, with your idea of authority, right now you have an idea of authority. Your idea of authority will directly reflect and impact your idea of worship because we are all in subjection to God as our authority. And the way that you choose to, in your flesh and sinfulness and mistakes and rebellion, worship our God and just say, okay, I'm a, I'm a rebellious child. I'm just a, I'm a nut. I'm, I'm messed up, but I'm going to choose to worship you. So, so too, in your ability to submit to the people who are in charge of you here will directly impact your ability to worship your God. There's no disconnect. Okay? There's not a holy moment here at church and then an unholy moment at work. They're, they're all holy. It's all an opportunity to live for God. Everything counts. You are a modern-day missionary. And wouldn't it be awesome if you as a Christian were known for being the best, the biggest servant, the most bright-eyed, the most trustworthy? God says, I will use your employer in so many different ways to change it. As a matter of fact, look at verse 6. He says, don't do it with eye service as men pleasers. Don't do it just when the boss is looking. But as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. I remember one time I worked at this church, and I was getting something out of the Sunday school room in a totally different separate building. And I walked into the gym, and I opened up this door, and I walked in and opened up the door, and there was one of the employees of the church laying on the bench sleeping. He was the janitor. He's like the custodian guy. And I was like, oh, there you are. <laughs> And he's, he's, oh, I'm just here sleeping on the clock and sleeping on the job. And I just kind of shut the door and let him finish his cat nap. <sighs> Had he known I was going to be there in about 30 seconds, though, what would he have been doing? Just vacuuming this room, you know, just kind of adjusting. He says, don't do that. Don't be just an eye pleaser, okay? Actually serve with a, with a gratitude. Verse 7, he says, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Did you know that when you serve and submit to those who are put in authority above you, even un righteous authority, you do it as unto the Lord. Okay, read the book of Romans. Read, read Romans 13. Read 1 Peter. Uh, read, read the scriptures. When you serve and submit to those who are corrupt and evil and say, you're in charge. God's going to judge you. It's not my job. I'm going to do my job. Okay? I'm not going to obey you and, and do things that are unlawful. If you have me to act corruptly myself, I'm not going to participate. I can then at that point have civil disobedience with my authority on the scriptures and my humility towards men. I can do that. But if you're evil, that doesn't mean I can then serve you in an evil way. That's not a justification. God says, well, I'll take care of it. Okay? As a matter of fact, I'll take care of them and I'll take care of you. Remember King David? Remember King David? King David was anointed the king and King Saul was evil. And King David had a chance to take the kingdom from Saul. That one time he was hiding in the cave. I got to fast forward the story. I'm sorry. But he was in the cave there. And his, his men, David's men said, this guy's evil. Take his head off right now. And David didn't take his head off. Instead, he crept up close to the king. He was trying to kill him. And he cut a little piece of his robe off, a little piece of his hoodie. Saul took off. And they had a conversation over a canyon. And David said, hey, 
recognized this hoodie? And he looked down, he saw a hole. He said, how did you, how did you get so close to me? You could have you killed me. He said, yeah, I could have, and I didn't. And as a matter of fact, I apologize for even cutting your robe. That was a bad thing to do. And he apologized. His men are like, David, he's ethel. Take his head off. You're the rightful king. And David said, no, I'm not going to do it. The Lord will remove him. The Lord will elevate me. And you guys know the story. The Lord removed him and elevated David. Did you know that the bosses in our lives that are cantankerous and evil, the pressures in our lives that are difficult, are there as God's instruments to teach you patience, to teach you compassion, to teach you maturity, to teach you to be a ruler and a good leader over your family? And we think, it's just hard. It's so hard. And God says, yeah, it's hard. Don't worry about them. I'll take care of them. Not your problem. You be filled with the Holy Spirit and grow in patience and compassion and maturity. And when you do this, God will allow you to be so... You guys want to be filled with peace and joy and love? Do you want to just walk around just being the happiest person in the world? I mean, that's why I go to Starbucks 25 times a day. (laughs) It's an exaggeration. Hope you caught that. I want to be. And God says, it's right here. It's in obedience. It's in trust. It's It's in serving me while you serve the people around you. Oh, but Lord, he knows. He knows it all. He knows it all, and he gives to them commands at this time, and he gives commands to us at this time to be obedient and to serve. Verse 8, knowing that whatever good, verse 8, anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Okay? You know what? You want to know what God's really doing? Right now, you might be asking for a different boss or a different work relationship or a different system. And God is looking at you saying, I don't really care about that. What I want is a different heart in you. It's not a justice issue in God's economy. Okay? If God wanted justice, he would kill us all, just so you know. Okay? We, we all die. Lord, rid the world of evil. He's like, you're going too then, bro? Like, you're part of the, you're part of the mop-up, you know? <laughs> no, just the really bad evil. He's like, that, you, that's you too, you know? It's not a justice issue. It's a heart issue. And God will allow on purpose in the refiner's fire of life, injustice, in unfortunate situations. He'll allow it. Okay, a lot of people have wondered, where's God in this? God's right there, and he's working on your heart through a very unfortunate situation. And you pray, and I want a different situation, and God says, nope, I'm gonna, I want a different heart. That's what's really going on here. He also makes sure and addresses the masters, and he says, and you masters, verse 9, do the same. Do the same things to them. Giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him. God's going to judge us all the same. Now, there's so much I could say, so much more I could say. Maybe I'll do it at the next two services. You guys missed out on all of it. Sorry. <laughs> Let me just ask you a few questions, though, in, in closing. How many of you want to see people get saved and fall in love with Jesus? Like you just want. You don't, you don't need to raise your hands, but I, I, you want to. It's like, yeah. That's why I'm mature. I kind of want, I want people to do that. Okay. Now, how, how many of you see your life as being an, an integral part of that process? Like, you just see it. Like, you know, maybe don't, you, have all, you don't have all the answers. You don't know what to do all the time. But you want to see people saved and fall in love with Jesus. And you wake up every morning and say, that's on me. What do I do? I'm just, I'm just a female. What do I do? I'm just a male. What do I do? I'm just single. What do I do? I'm just in recovery. What do I do? I'm just widowed. What do I do? I'm just married. What do I do? I just have too many kids. What do I do? I don't have any kids. What do I do? I'm just, and you discount yourself. Or you say, all right, I want people to be saved. And I trust that God is going to use me to that end. Somehow, some way. Just like he is in charge of the atoms. So small. So small. Just like he is in charge of the cosmos, so big. Everything counts. 
when the enemy just wants you to sleep through life, lulled to sleep, being proud of the mega Christians, the professional Christians, the celebrity Christians, the authors and the actors and the pastors and the ones out here, and you just, are you just you? Not that important. Very important. Here's another question. Uh, are you a lazy person or are you a hard worker? Are you, are you a blessing or a burden at work? And we live in a culture that is just really, it's, it's in a spiral of workforce, finding good employees and good employers, really, it's really bad. I would just say, if you're a Christian, you ought to be the most faithful, trustworthy, reliable, spirit-filled, happy, sacrificial employee that your boss has ever seen. And if you need to repent today, if you've just bought into the Kool-Aid and said, well, I'm just, I just don't want to get fired. That's my number one goal at work. Not going to get fired. You know, it's like, okay, well, <laughs> how about you go down with the ship serving? You give all. Why? They, they, they. Because God said to. Because God's going to use it. God's going to use it in their life to change them how he wants. Listen, God's going to use it to change you. Do you realize that right now? Some of you, you, you're not even an employer. Maybe you're just an athlete with a coach that's, that's aloof, a coach that doesn't know what's going on. God says, submit to that coach, okay? I'm going to use that in your life, and I'm going to use that in his life. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe you're smarter than your teacher right now. Like, My teacher doesn't even, I shouldn't even, listen, submit to the authority that's a bit of put above you, whoever it is, and God is going to use them, even in their mistakes and their mishaps. If you have a, a supervisor right now who's out to get you, if it's hard at work, how did King David deal with it? Okay, he served. He served and he loved and he trusted. And God ultimately taught him things he could never learn and promoted him to the top. Uh, do you see your stewardship on earth as impacting your eternity in heaven? It, does, does it matter how, how clean your garage is on earth? Does it matter how your banks are adjusted? Does it matter how your bills are paid? Does it matter Do you? Does it really matter if... If, if your kids are raised up in the things of God or you love them or teach them or does it matter the way you tailgate people on Highway 101? Does it matter? Does it actually change your eternity? I hope you believe it does. Otherwise, life's very boring. Otherwise, life doesn't count. Life doesn't matter. It's all just a big waste of time. But if it all is redeemable and I can do all that I do for the glory of God, oh, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Make me just Amazing. Make me the best me I could possibly be. Why? So I can be a blessing to others and give you glory. The whole purpose of the church, the whole purpose of growth, the whole purpose of these scriptures, the whole purpose of gathering is to exalt God, edify the body, to evangelize the lost. The three E's. Okay, memorize those. <sighs> the whole purpose of the body, the whole purpose of gathering and preaching and teaching and sharing, taking communion is to exalt God. We exalt God by doing so, the first E. We also edify ourselves. We grow. We become different. We, we are built up, and then, therefore, we can evangelize the lost. It's the whole purpose. It's really simple. It's so fun. I had, I had a girl. I'm going to have the worship team come up and join me. I had a girl, a friend of mine, Facebook me yesterday. She said, pray for me. I'm just really wanting to know what God's purpose is for my life. How many ever asked that before? What's God's purpose for my life? And I said, here's the deal. I said, God's purpose for your life might not include a title or, or an experience or an event, okay? God's purpose for your life, she's, she's a mom, got a, got, has a kid. I said, God's purpose for your life is to do everything you do for others' good and for God's glory. To, to, to live in and out of season, with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. 
to, to walk in worship as unto the Lord, to trust him, to serve him. And when you figure this out, I don't care who you are, man or woman, title or no title, when you figure this out, guess what? Oh, all of life counts, even the hiccups, even the mistakes. It all counts. It all becomes journal-worthy. What'd you do today? Man, I, I just served. I cleaned my house. I cleaned my house as unto the Lord because I know God's ingraining in me great character, and he's ingraining in me something that's opposite of my nature. The, the, my nature is the opposite of cleanliness, trust me. And instead, what I did is I did what God wanted me to do as a, as a family man, as a family gal, as a neighbor, whatever the case is. What did you do today? I just, I trusted. I walked by faith. Was there a title? Was there a paycheck? Did you get a set of keys to the church? It's not the question. I lived my life with integrity. I lived my life for the purpose of glorifying God and edifying the body. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes as the communion is brought out and we prepare to worship. I, I, I really just would invite you to examine your heart. The, the two references I used were David and Jesus, both of whom could easily object to serving those around them, not worthy, illegitimate, sinful, corrupt. And God looked at those two men and says, hey, hey, your examples. And he looks at the church and says, hey, 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 this isn't your home. What you do is for an eternal reward. What you do is for later. Every life matters now, forever. If you're here today and you just would simply with me, just simply say, yep, I've blown it. I've been a rebel. I've been selfish. I've been a jerk. I've been a crook. I've done it. I've done it. I've taken the, I found the 500 bucks and I've pocketed it before. I've done that with me. You've done the wrong thing. Would you, would you just simply say, Lord, help me, help me moving forward. It's, it's not so much what I've done in the past that defines me, defines me at all. It's what will I do with the future? How will I navigate forward? And today you can repent and say, Lord, be my example, be my filling, be my everything, Lord. Take me and use me and mold me and shape me. Fill me right now. And if that's you right now, you just need to repent and be filled to move forward and to be the best servant to the people around you that do not deserve it. Would you just humble yourself? Start by humbling yourself. Eyes are bowed. Heads are bowed. Raise your hand right now. Say, yep, I just want to be a better steward of my life. I want to be more godly, more Christ-like. I'm, I've, I've, just, I've got so much rebellion chalked up in me. I've got so much knowledge against the system. It's just hard to even, I can't even imagine doing this. And do you think Jesus had more knowledge against his system than you do? And yet he suffered and died and won. He won. And Lord, my hand is raised as well. I want to be a better man. Not better than other men, but better than me. I want to be better than me. And if you would join me, raise your hand right now. Lord, you see those hands that are going up. Fill us, heal us, minister to us, Lord. Even now as we come to the table, may we do so with great joy moving forward. What is behind is just that. It is behind. What is in front? May the whole world know that you are legit by who we are and how we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.